The B2B sales world is in turmoil. Quota attainment is down. Revenue growth is slowed. Turnover is up. All of this is in the face of ever-increasing pressure to perform. Is it a surprise that the average sales leader stays in place for only 12 to 18 months? That's barely enough time to start executing the strategy. These problems are fixable, and we are going to serve the sales leadership community with this show. I'm Lucas Price. I've launched and exited B2B startups and built elite sales organizations. Now I want to give back by bringing you this podcast, Building Elite Sales Teams. It will be full of actionable best practices to help you excel as a sales leader. We're going to burn the churn. Let's get back to winning. Building Elite Sales Teams is on. Welcome to another episode of Building Elite Sales Teams. We're going to be talking today with Dan Dion. We're going to be talking about the importance of building a team of A players, how training needs to be part of every day, and how building a culture is celebrating the small wins and the big wins. Dan joined Car Gurus when it was still operating out of a garage and was there during hypergrowth all the way to IPO. In five years, he went from an individual contributor to director of U.S. acquisition. Dan's currently the VP of sales at Review Wave, where he's grown the team from 10 to 40 people in nine months. Dan, thanks for being here today. Of course. Happy to do it. Uh, it's, it's been my life for the last five or six years uh, in, in these different organizations. So excited to share my experience as what I've learned over the last few years. Appreciate you having me. It's going to be fun. To start off, can you tell me, in your experience as a sales leader, what are some of the key points that have been most important to you in terms of how to build an elite team? I think a lot of people just go to the market and say, hey, I need 50 people this year. And you just start hiring everybody, which sounds great in theory, but if you don't know exactly what you're looking for, you're going to make some bad hires. And we've all done it. It's going to happen. And I say bad hires, like you, you fall in love with people on an interview and they come in and they're a different person or you're strapped up against a number and you just got to start putting people in seats and you're forced into a bad decision. Trust me, take your time, build out per your perfect A player and stick to it. Don't bend on who to bring in because you do that, you're going to make bad decisions. You're going to bring in people that maybe fill a seat to fill a quota, but aren't perfect. And you have that mindset of I'll make it work. Don't do that. Find those A players, stick to your individual personality plans. Don't bend on that because you're going to end up and I did it this year. We had to come out with a really hot hiring plan. I'm like, I got to start putting people in seats. And I think the first six people we brought in was like, nope. And we got to go back out again and go find six more people. So you just end up putting yourself behind when you break plan. That's some great advice. One of the things that, that I really believe in, and I'm curious to get your response to, is that when you're thinking about who that A player is or who that ideal customer profile is, Oftentimes, companies over-index on the specific experience they want from that person and under-index yes. on the traits that are going to lead to success. You see so many roles out there that are posted looking for A-plus colleges or A-level colleges, elite colleges, things like that, already thinking about it incorrectly. I, I think the, the number one and number two things you got to look for, and this was the second part of what I want to talk about with this question, is personality style and culture fit. If you don't have that, you're already off to the wrong foot in terms of building the right sales team. I can tell you in previous roles, college is the last thing I looked at. Previous, previous experience was third thing I looked at maybe. It's all about the people, the level of person and personality you bring in and the culture fit over, over anything else. You can teach sales to just about anybody. And we're doing it here at Review Aid. We're bringing a lot of people in that are coming from different industries, coming from not from SaaS, coming from 
completely different walks of life. And we're teaching them what's a high performing, high intensity sales organization is like. And we did the same at Cargurus too. Not every person is going to walk in the door is going to have a Warren Buffett type atmosphere or Warren Buffett type. You're not going to find those people. Stop, stop looking for them. They'll come through, but it's not going to build you the right team. Find the best people for your role. One of the other for sales roles, like common profiles where they're looking for a specific experience instead of the trait is they'll say, hey, I want the former college athlete. There's a lot of great things about former college athletes, including they have a track record of doing something at a high level, caring about being internally motivated. They care about it. It's usually not a career track for most college athletes. And so there are a lot of things about being a college athlete that you think, oh yeah, these are indications that they might be good at sales. It's better to think more broadly about it. I want someone who has a history of high achievement, who can show me mm -hmm. they're intrinsically motivated. And it doesn't just need to come from college athletics. It could be from being great at the band or getting great grades in school. So you are yep. looking for that history of excellence and that internal motivation is important, but you don't want to get too specific on the places that that can come from. I love hiring ex-college athletes, ex-professional athletes. They have a different drive level. They have a different level of competition where they look at the scoreboard and they get upset when they're not number one. I want those people. But even more so to that point you just made, which is probably the most important thing is someone's why. If someone doesn't have the right motivation for doing a very difficult sales job and make no mistake, any sales job is a difficult job. You're under constant pressure, numbers, you have your, your managers breathing down, you're trying to get to your numbers up, you're not hitting your call volume, something your email volume, whatever it might be. Sales is tough no matter what capacity you're in. You got to have someone that has a very strong motivation. And for me, their why, why they do the job, why are they going to come in every day and grind out 150 phone calls to get those one yeses or two yeses a day? What's your motivation to do that? So professional and college athletes are fantastic because they have the ultimate competitive spirit, but the motivation of why you come in every day is even more important. We chatted before your environment is a relatively transactional sale. So some of the advice that you give is I think relevant across lots of different sales disciplines, but maybe is helpful for people to understand in the context of the environment you're in right now. And this is definitely not enterprise sales. Cargurus and ReviewWave are very similar in that, where in ReviewWave, I'll talk about that first, where obviously, because that's the team of building right now, our sales cycle is anywhere between one and three days. And I mean that from cold call from the SDR to booking a demo to doing the follow-up, confirming the demo and closing the deal is between one and three days. I'm looking for specific people that can not only keep up with that high transactional atmosphere, but you have to have the, you have to have that next level. You have to have that, that next drive level to be able to come in every single day. We are a very phone heavy organization. We're calling small businesses all day long. We, you know, my team will make between four to 6,000 phone calls in a day, just doing our normal outreach. Like you got to live that world. You got to be a part of that. And how we make it competitive is obviously we have a lot of games. We have a lot of fun during the day. Music's blasting all the time. We talked about different levels of success and celebrating that. So we have a restaurant bell for demos booked. We don't celebrate every connection. You get a demo booked, job's 30% of the way there. So we have a little restaurant bell. And actually, we've been booking so many demos recently. Anytime I go to a restaurant and hear the bell when the food's ready, I sit there and just start clapping because uh, we've been booking so many demos. But we have that. Then we have a big cowbell for when deals get done. And then when someone hits their goal or when someone gets promoted, we have this, it's honestly like a five foot gong in the office that people go up on stage and ring it. So we celebrate all levels to just keep it getting fun and keep, keep the energy going. Cause in a, an environment like ours, where you have three or four different power hours throughout the day to keep people focused, you can break that focus pretty easily and you can really hit a lull. And so you got, you, you as a leadership team, you got to keep it moving. You mentioned a lot of things that you do to keep the energy up, keep it fun. 
which in your yep. environment makes a lot of sense. How'd you discover that was important? And what were some of the things that you th thought about when implementing that? Um, I'm a big believer in, it's kind of cliche, but work hard, play hard. You come in, I expect you to come in the door, expect nothing but focus, and I expect you to do your job. But I also want to have fun during that day. Work should be fun. That's what we do. You don't want to go to an environment where it's not fun. Like you walk in, it's gray walls, no music. They block off the, they block off the doors. They block off the windows, like an old school call, call farm. That's not fun. So you want people to come back every day and really want to come to the office every day to do the job. And like I said, it's a difficult job, especially the SDR role making cold calls all day. It's a difficult job, a thankless job until you get all those demos booked and all those deals done. So you might try to make this fun as possible. You can have the fun, but it's also culture building too. People want to come in and want to go to work and see their friends, make their calls, do their job. When you have all this music going and all the celebration happening all day long, it's especially from a mindset standpoint, like you get that bell ringing first thing in the morning, people get motivated, get fired up, but then it starts building and rolling from there. Next thing, it's two o'clock in the afternoon, you got 20 demos booked and everyone's just having a great time. That's the point of the culture we're trying to build, not just a high functioning sales team. When you're building that, that culture with the energy and with the fun and with the focus that you talked about, what are things that you have to, to watch out for? What are mistakes that could be made? When you become too much of a bud and not much of a boss, you still have to hit your numbers. You still have to hold everybody accountable. You can really go down this slippery slope where, no, don't worry, get them, we'll get them tomorrow. No, you have to go in and you have your fun, you build your culture, but you still have to demand for production, performance, and hold everyone accountable to their job or else you lose the team. And you lose the team is you can lose respect as a leader pretty quickly if you just become that fun boss that doesn't hold anybody accountable because we're too busy doing a happy hour or too busy going bowling or too busy doing other things. And it's like, you still got to demand that performance. You could have that work hard, play hard type mentality where, yeah, we're going to have some fun, but we get our numbers first. That makes sense. Tell me about how you think of training and keeping the, the saw sharpened, so to speak. I love that question because sales has such a bad rap when it comes to training where people like, here's your desk, here's your phone. Good luck. And that's not how it should be. If you want to have the most successful teams, you have to dedicate the time to train people the way you want them operating on the phones, the way you want them conducting business. You have to spend the time. I just bought a piece of software that I could not be more excited about. It's live battle cards to actually help people with some of the very nuanced technical aspects of the industry that we sell into. Yeah. That's the hardest thing. So I'm looking to solve that. So I bought a bunch of licenses for all my new people that they hear a certain term, it's going to pop up. Here's the three things you got to say to get around that. So I'm really excited about that. But so we have a very short training cycle. When you join, everybody signs up on to get their offer. They get their contract. They start on a Tuesday. By the following Monday, they're graduating. And this is the SDR role. Iggy is a little bit different. But from the SDR side, they start on Tuesday, they graduate on a Monday. They have HR on Tuesday. And then it's three very intense days of shadowing, call coaching, mock calls, script adherences. And then by Monday, they're expected to graduate. After that, it's, we do daily call reviews. The entire team does daily call reviews in the morning to start the day. 15 minutes, Monday, Wednesday, Friday is listening to your own calls. Tuesdays and Thursdays is listening to a team call and you grade each other and pass that back and forth. We have a call review Slack channel where people can drop in calls and ask for constant help. All the managers are in there, all the leaders are in there. All the leaders do four hours of isolated call coaching every single day, as well as Tuesdays and Thursdays, we have very specific team-wide training throughout our training calendar that we do from a training standpoint, but from new hires, they have those four first four days and then they have a full week of uh, an hour and a half to two hours daily boot camp with myself, where it's really going over asking the right pain questions, doing script, script training, as well as product overview and things like that. 
I call it listen, learn, and then practice. It's about a 30 minutes of me going up and talking. And then we always do some call coaching in that. We always listen to calls, what to do, what not to do. And then we always practice. So training never stops. You mentioned scripts a few times. How strictly do you expect an SDR to adhere to the script? How much do they get to ins insert their own personality into it? Yeah. And does that change over time? I'm rewriting them right now, actually, but I have a, a symbol. So it's like a, it's like an S shape and then an arrow through it. And that's the script. You expect the script to go linear exactly how I've written it out, but it always goes this way. It's the only part of the script I really need to learn by word is the opening because the first 10 seconds of that cold call is the most important time. Not one call out of the 6,000 we make every single day is going to follow that script. And I teach, we teach that every single day. So I need you to nail the opening and then know the rest of it so you can pivot and you can go with the conversation depending on how it goes. But if you teach your team to, to, to just read off a script and learn that script, that's what it's going to sound like. Some of the sellers that I've seen who have become the highest performers, one of the skills that they've had that I don't have is the ability to give them instruction. Uh, when you get this objection, say this, and they can do it right away. And then there's other people mm -hmm. like me who I need to get the instruction and then I need to practice one or two times. Yep. And then I can do it the right way in front of a prospective customer. Are you doing a lot of practice sessions for people like me? And think about I do small team call reviews Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays with different segments of the team. And it's a sign-up sheet. It's not mandatory, but I've always got four or five people every morning in my office wanting to do call reviews, which is great because you get to see different aspects. And I'd say that is the hardest thing to teach. That's why you have to do it constantly. Great example. And it's really hard for the new people to understand where they're getting told that first no, and they ask a few more questions and then they're still getting that no. Okay, cool. Call you tomorrow. See ya. You got to know the the hardest part is, okay, cool. Sounds like you're running a great practice. Let me take 30 more seconds to ask you like two or three more questions to see if this is a great fit and I'll let you get back on your day. Like you got to have that. I keep saying that extra gear, extra drive. Like you got to know when to ask those fourth, fifth, sixth layers of questions and get past those second and third no to try to find the yes, to get them to realize, yes, I got to solve that problem. Thank you for keep asking me questions. That's the hardest thing to teach because they're just getting comfortable on the phones or just getting comfortable these conversations. So it takes that constant training and review to get them there. When you think about training and the way that you've described your training program to us, are there things that happened in your career that helped you understand both the importance of it and yeah. how you implemented it? Or where did this, where did these things come from? I've always been a, a more of a coaching type leader. I'm a certified coach in Olympic weightlifting and I coached for three years. So it's like... There's part of me in there and then part of me from experience. I can go all the way back to my very first sales job, which actually made me realize I don't want to be in sales because coaching was one day of just product overview. And then they, you walk in, they give you your call sheet and your sign-in sheet, and that's your day. You go in and you here's the hundred calls you got to make today. Punch in, punch out, get out the door. I don't even know what I'm doing yet. And then even at Cargo's, my training, and granted, this is one of your 40 people, so totally different training. My first couple of sales were like, Desk's over there. You're going to go build it. Computer is in the, uh, in the mail. You'll have it in the next couple of days. And there's a phone somewhere. Go find one and go put it together. And then it's like, all right, just shadow them for the next couple of weeks. You'll be ready. So I got to figure it out. Got it. Sales is a very much sink or swim mentality, even at some of the best organizations. And I'm not saying anything bad about Cargers in my training because it really taught me to learn from my peers. And that's how, that's really how I build all of my training is it's rep led. I don't sit in a room unless I'm doing my boot camp for short, short periods of time. All the training is rep-led training. You got to learn from people doing the job, not from someone doing a PowerPoint, but it's got to be constant. If you're not doing it constantly, you're never, I, I believe in continuous improvement, get better every single day. So myself as a leader, I can't get better every single day if I'm not spending the time 
with my SDRs and AEs on calls, I can't build a good training program if I'm not spending that time there. Like everybody has to be included in sales in the training of that. And sales has always been an individual team, an individual game. But in my mind, it's a team game. You have to all get better at the same time. And you can only do that through this continuous improvement mentality with training. You have a lot of people who are receiving the training and everyone in the room has received it, but people have internalized it at different rates. How do you evaluate like when someone's gotten it or when it's time to move on from this item? It's part of that continuous improvement, like just the repetitions, like Olympic weightlifting or playing football or baseball is repetitions. So even if you got it once, you don't let it say, good, you're good there. And then move on to another time. No, continue to bring it up there and calls. Hey, good job there. Hey, you did bad improvement over there, but you've got to continue to pick apart those pieces of a call to continue to just hammer in those good things that they're doing as well as the areas of improvement. Because like I said, it's one of those things where if you just like, yeah, you're good there. Don't worry about, don't worry about focusing on your intros anymore. They're going to get sloppy. You got to continue to refine that. And even if they sound good at one call or two calls, don't stop listening to those parts of calls. Like a great example for my AEs, we do weekly call review. We do a scorecard weekly call review. I mainly focus on their discovery and their close. The demo, the walkthrough. You can, anybody can do the demo. That's not what I'm interested in. I'm interested in how you're uncovering pain, uncovering the reason why someone needs to buy, and then tailoring the demo towards what you've uncovered. And I focus on those first seven to 10 minutes. And then after that, again, the demo is the demo, but I focus on those first seven to 10 minutes and I'll take the full hour just on those first seven minutes. And even some of my best reps, I still will spend the full hour just on those first seven minutes because you can always get better. Because especially with people that have done, say, the same demo or the same job for a long time, it'll get some assumptions within those demos of I've done this a thousand times. I know exactly what you want to hear. You can't skip that. So you have to keep pushing those good habits that you want. Have you ever experienced where you had relatively high performers who thought they don't need the feedback, they don't need the training they're yes. doing? Every high performer says that. <laughs> I had 200% the goal last month. I don't need this. Every high performer says How that. How do you deal with that? I don't care. Get in the room. Give me a call, score it. I don't care. You've got to do this like everybody else. It's one of those things that I I tell them they're doing something wrong. Everyone who has a call, even myself, you, everybody will have something, part of a call that someone will pick apart and say, you need some improvement here. So you just don't want to lighten up on your expectations of what you want their calls to be. And I'm from Boston. I grew up during the decade of excellence with Patriots, Red Sox, Bruins, Celtics. We had that big strength. I always use the Tom Brady analogy where... Tom Brady didn't win seven Super Bowls by just going to this, going in and winging it and saying, I've done this before. I know what I'm doing. He watched more game film than anybody. I call my sessions game film reviews so that we can get better every single time. There's a quote from some coach. I don't remember which coach it it was, but I think the quote is, um, if you, if you shoot for perfection, you just might hit excellence. Yep. I like that. I'm a, I like the Bruce Lee one where I fear the man that's made the same kick a thousand times versus the man that's made a thousand kicks one time. So I want to make sure not only are we practicing the good behaviors, but we're perfecting them every single time. So we've talked about making sure you're hiring your ideal candidate profile, finding the right traits. We've talked about training and celebrating the wins and building the culture. Are there any other key pillars that we should talk about today? I really stress, especially building a sales team not focusing on previous experience or not focusing on the high education, not focusing on like this person got, went for, went to Harvard and then Salesforce, who cares if they were the, if they were bottom of the class at Harvard and top bottom 10% at Salesforce, that's not a high, that's not a high rep. That's not a good rep. Why would you hire them? What are the things that are really important to find on your ideal candidate profile? I can't answer that question for everybody. It's going to be dependent on your organization, but for me, especially on the SDR team, and that's where I'll stay right now, is 
focusing on, can they hold a conversation? Are they a good culture fit? Can I teach them? Are they coachable? I, I focus more on culture, personality, and coachability versus your previous experience. I just asked this to my team yesterday because this is my first year in C here, and this is my first November. November is the worst month in my mind outside of August because people start logging off on November 15th because they get to go on a flight to go to wherever for Thanksgiving so they can beat the high plane ticket prices. So month ends on the 15th. You got to be done. So I asked my team, Rabbi, show of hands, whose first, whose time is this? Whose first November sales month is this? I think out of the 40 people, I think 20 something people raise their hand. Every single, almost half of my team comes from different walks of life and we're not only finding success in there, we're growing the company exponentially because we're finding the right people. And that's the most important thing I can tell you. I can tell you, especially from like my car gurus days where 30% of my sales team was people that were on a dealership floor. So I have about 20% of my team that came from within the industry as well. The relation there and the story they can tell, listen, I was on your side. Now I'm on this side. And I totally understand why you need this. You can't teach that. You can tell them some things to say, but you cannot teach that level of familiarity with the other side that does the job that really needs the tech that you're trying to sell. Part of what I'm getting is the specific experiences don't matter as much, but the life experiences that shaped who you are as a person have a lot to do yes. with whether you can succeed. When a salesperson fails, what are like the reasons that are most typical for why a salesperson fails? That's obviously different for every single salesperson that does fail. That's a difficult question to ask. End of the day, for me, the number one thing that I see why I see people fail is they think they know what they're doing. I've hired people from all different walks of life, obviously, that come in. And the very first thing I tell them, if you want to be successful here in this role, you know nothing. Come in here, be a sponge on about everybody around you. Ask questions. Come in like it's your very first day out of college. You have absolutely no idea what you're doing. You'll be fine if you do that. If you come in and think you know exactly how this team works or exactly how this company works or exactly how the sale is going to operate because you have some experience in sales or some experience in that industry, you're going to be in for a rough ride. And I can't tell you the number of people that I've hired that are either in industry or have some experience that come in with this attitude of I'm better than everybody because I've been doing this longer or I've been doing this almost fail almost instantly. You got to come in and be able to be willing to be vulnerable to say, I don't know what I'm doing and I'm going to learn from everybody around me. That would, I would say that's my number one answer. Number, the number was just unwillingness to learn. We've all seen that. Like people that I call them say yes and do less. They hear your feedback and they hear the coaching, but they don't listen and they don't put it into play. And they just are comfortable accepting a no saying I did my job getting to my call volume or I did my job getting to my connection volume, but there's no substance to it they didn't take the coaching seriously, they end up burning out faster than most. Yeah. Dan shared a lot of wisdom with us today. I appreciate you taking the time. And where can people find you online? Mainly on LinkedIn. Hit me up on LinkedIn. It's just uh, Dan Dion, D-I-O-N-E. I got called out a few years back for my picture. It's for my wedding. And someone's like, it looks like you just took a picture from your wedding. So you find me, it's got a darker background. It's my wedding photo. You can't miss me. All right. Thanks for coming. Thanks. With us today. No, of course. I appreciate it. It was, uh, it was fun. Uh, Thanks for joining us today on Building Elite Sales Teams. Please remember to give us a five-star review. And if you want more information about Yardstick, you can find us at www.yardstick.team. You can follow me or connect with me on LinkedIn by searching for Lucas Price.